Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I am your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Sarah Waxman. Sarah has literally eaten her way around the world and then written about it as a longtime food and restaurant critic for magazines and newspapers, including the Toronto Sun, Flair, En Route, Elle, and the National Post. Famously, she was one half of a power couple with the late actor Al Waxman, otherwise known as the King of Kensington, and for his work in Cagney and Lacey and Twice in a Lifetime. The fact that today there is a statue of Al Waxman in Kensington Market pretty much says it all. Along with her son Adam, since 2007, Sarah has published the quarterly Dine and Destinations magazine, Canada's leading authority for reaching active food lovers who enjoy dining and travel experiences. Recently, Sarah was also awarded our province's highest honour, the Order of Ontario, for her outstanding achievements and contributions to Ontario's food and hospitality industry. Welcome, Sarah, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? I'm very well. I'm sitting at my dining room table and uh, interested in having a nice conversation. Well, thank you. I am too, and I'm glad to have you here. How was your summer? Did you stay in the city or did you get out of town? No, I stayed in the city. I grew up on a farm, so I'm not really interested in the country. Well, let's go all the way back and get the Sarah Waxman story. You are not a native Torontonian. Where were you born? And please describe your upbringing. My family came to Canada as immigrants in 1939, actually on the last ship that left uh, Gdynia before the uh, Second World War. And uh, they had to buy a farm in order to emigrate, and they bought the farm. And uh, my older sister and I, uh, you know, we came along and uh, we uh, lived on that farm until uh, I was nine years old. And where was that? Oh, that was in Beausajour, Manitoba. It was outside of Beausajour, Manitoba, a few miles. You know, I was one of those that walked to school in the snow. Then uh, we moved to Winnipeg because my father realized that his children were not getting everything that they should uh, in, in the small town. And... I, I was thinking last night, if if I may, all the things that happened in my life in those first years living on the farm that really still exist with me today. My mother would uh, dress me and in the winter and tell me to, you know, go outside and play. And there was a little pond, and I realized that if I kicked my heel in the pond, it would make a rainbow. That was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And to this day, I love rainbows. And my children know this, and one of them bought me these gadgets that you put on your windows, and the sun comes in and makes rainbows everywhere. I'd forgotten why I liked rainbows so much, but thinking about this podcast, I remembered. I like that. Sometimes it's the simple things in life. And Sarah, I want to ask, when and how did you end up in Toronto? I came to Toronto in 1968, and um, I met Al after I was here for three days. Well, that's quick, and I'm going to jump right into that because your courtship was unsurprisingly related to food, 
And as you, Sarah, have described in the past, if I may, quote, Days after I had moved to Toronto, we were set up by a mutual friend. Our second date was dinner and a movie. Al made the movie, and I made the dinner. When he came to call on me, he went straight to the fridge, opened it, and liked what he saw. We were married six months later, and Al used to joke, I married Sarah for her breakfast, and a few other things. Unquote. <laughs> That's true. But I met Al when I still lived on the farm. We had a battery radio, and my father allowed me to listen to a show on Saturday called Doorway to Fairyland. And I particularly liked the ogre. And Al, as a child actor, was playing the ogre. Before I came to Toronto, I was watching a late show with my mother on a Saturday night, black and white movie. It was The War Lovers starring Steve McQueen. But there was a particular character that my mother liked. And this character was killed. And at the end of the movie, my mother said to me, you know, Sarala, in a war, the best boys get killed. That actor was Al Waxman. <laughs> so my mother picked him as the best boy. And I came to Toronto a few days later and met him almost immediately. And I just feel that it was karma that we were supposed to meet. Certainly sounds that way. And let's please talk about your late husband, Al. And for the listeners, I'm going to set this up. Al Waxman was a Toronto-born actor and director of over 1,000 productions on radio, television, film, and stage. He is best known for his starring roles in the television series King of Kensington on CBC, Cagney and Lacey on CBS, and Twice in a Lifetime on CTV. In its heyday, the groundbreaking King of Kensington had a weekly audience of 2 million, which is in the same ballpark as the viewership for the venerable Hockey Night in Canada at that time. Unfortunately, Al passed away in January 2001, but Sarah, please tell us about your late husband, Al Waxman. You know, people saw him in King of Kensington and thought of him as a comedian. He was not a comedian. He was an actor who played as a, you know, a, a lovable character. He's also played as a murderer. He played as a union boss. He... He played uh, all kinds of characters, and he was very—he was a really terrific actor, and she was very believable in everything he did. We we met, and we had two children, and getting married uh, uh, when you're already an adult and know who you are and know what you're doing—you're you're set in your ways. So it it took a while for us to get used to being we instead of you and and I. But we got along very well because we encouraged each other. And with that encouragement and believing in each other, we each felt that we could do anything. He always read my column before I sent it in, you know, I was a restaurant critic for 27 years and, you know, for magazines every month. And I wrote cookbooks and all that. And he really encouraged me. I never dreamed in my life that I would have the career that I had. But he said, you can do it and you should do it. My first cookbook was about our first 10 years of, of uh, a life together. And, 
and our kids and our first house and all that. I didn't even know that I was a cook. When I left home, I couldn't just go to restaurants, you know, so I figured out what went into dishes, and I made a repertoire of a dozen good dishes. And when Al met me and he enjoyed my cooking enormously, he couldn't believe it, and he started to invite all the people who had been inviting him. We always had company for dinner, and I would cook one of my 12 things. And people kept saying to me, you should write a cookbook, you should write... And so we were at a a party, and a a publisher said to Al, do you have a book in you? And he said, no, but my wife has. So I wrote a few pages and had a meeting, and the publisher said, great, let's do it. And then I had to do it. They gave me a big advance. So that was quite wonderful. And I could not have done anything creative if it was not for the creative influence that he was. The other thing that doesn't happen much anymore is that we used to laugh a lot. You know, we found so many things funny that literally Al would just slide off the couch laughing. And we told jokes, and there were funny things, not made-up jokes, but in real life. We moved into a, a large house, And that day, he left for Los Angeles to do Cagney and Lacey. He didn't know if he should leave because just moving into a new house, two little children, I said to him, don't worry about it, sweetheart. I've got it covered here, and you have it covered there. And we went back and forth with the kids on their holidays, Christmas, Easter, spring break. You know, we we always did something uh, wonderful. And uh, I traveled to Los Angeles. He came home. Whenever he came home, I had a dinner party so he could see his pals again. And we had a wonderful, happy life. And I I guess it goes without saying, we had a big love affair. (laughs) Absolutely. And as you know, teamwork. It's all about the team. Now, Sarah, you alluded to parties back in the day. You and Al were renowned for your parties, a hive of film stars and directors, authors, politicians, the famous and the infamous. In fact, even today, rumor has it that you still have champagne flutes for 100. Is that true? Yes, and I have dishes for 100 somewhere in my locker uh, because we had a large house. And when we had a party, everybody came. Uh, uh, senators, I mean, John Tory and, and his wife, Keith Davey, uh, Senator Keith Davey, uh, whoever, um, you know, uh, actors were in the city who knew Al. It was always great. And of course, the dining room table was loaded with food. We always had a, a musician walking around. One time I got an ice cream shop, an Italian ice cream shop, to bring their gelato cart and serve everybody gelato after dinner. You know, I had an imagination. And uh, we had a lot of friends. And we just enjoyed uh, our uh, married life. And Al was so happy with his work. Uh, we, we They used to joke at the studio, 
that he rushed to get the red eye to come home for the weekend. And he would change his, from his wardrobe, he changed his wardrobe in the taxi on the way to the airport. It was like Superman, you know. And then he'd get on the plane and, and arrive uh, early in the morning. Uh, our dog would know when he was maybe a mile or two away. He'd lie by the door and start barking. He knew the daddy was almost home. <laughs> when Al passed away, you received more than 1,500 letters from strangers, some from yeah. as far away as, as Europe. And I guess Al had this big international following. This was from his time on Cagney and Lacey? Yes. Not only that, not only did he have a following from his uh, TV and uh, movie work, but he was very much involved in philanthropy and caring about people. He would dress as Santa Claus and go to, you know, different places that the police would pick him up and they'd travel with Santa. We traveled across the country for Heart and Stroke, for Cancer Society, for uh, hospitals, for all the charities that asked him. He never said no. And uh, people knew him, and people would say, oh, well, here's an example. Uh, I always had a snack for the kids when they came home from school, and I had uh, baked cookies, and then put them on the counter, and I was out. And uh, it was raining, so uh, I wasn't far from home, and I called Al and said, could you pick me up, please, because it's raining. He said, sure, I'll be there soon. He never arrived. So I just took a cab and went home. I found out later, a few hours later, that the police had called him and said, there is a boy who came from a country town who went to Kensington Market to look for you, and his parents called the police because he had disappeared. And they brought him to the station, and they called Al. And Al took my cookies and went to the police station. That's the kind of guy he was. Uh, he would see uh, people who would ask to see him in hospitals. He really believed that he should use his reputation for good. And, of course, Al is so closely tied to Kensington Market. I mentioned in my introduction the statue. I want to read the inscription in front of Al's statue. Quote, There's lots to do down the road. There's always more. Trust your gut instincts. In small matters, trust your mind. But in the important decisions of life, trust your heart. Unquote. Sarah, would you please share the story of Al's statue in Kensington Market? The Kensington ratepayers and the MP of uh, that area wanted to acknowledge him and put a statue in the park. So they asked my permission, and of course I gave my permission, and they did all the rest. They they found a uh, sculptor who has done other sculptures in, in the uh, city. Ruth Abernathy was her name, and the ratepayers in Kensington Market and other people paid for it. I had not, I, you know, I had nothing to do with it except to give my permission. And even today, of course, you can still visit it, and that oh, must be yes. a source of great pleasure. Yes. I have friends uh, from Europe, from the U.S., who come in and um, 
you know, American tourism companies from Atlanta, from uh, New Orleans, from other places. And they had seen Cagney and Lacey. They knew his show. And they knew, you know, that I was his loving wife. And um, they all went down to Kensington Market to see the statue. So people uh, are aware of it. But the letters that I received were from ordinary folks who said, I passed him on the street once and he said something to me like, uh, and he said, I'll, you know, I'll never forget it. And just people who, who felt close to him. In Montreal, I was on, on a, a media visit to Montreal and I had a driver who was not overly friendly to me uh, because I didn't speak French. And I, I said that my husband, uh, my late husband, had uh, worked a lot in uh, Montreal uh, filming, and she asked his name. And when I told her, she pulled over, and she said that her father had had a stroke, and he would w- sit in his wheelchair. And when King of Kensington came on, he became animated and smiling and humming along with the tune. And she said, my father learned to speak English from King of Kensington. These are the kind of stories that when you hear them, they really bring great joy to you, I'm sure. Well, I was so proud of him. You know, it was live. They would have a live show uh, in the studio where the Four Seasons Hotel stands now with a, a studio. They had the rehearsal on Thursday and then the taping on Friday. And... The audience seats were filled on both nights for all those years. And uh, people would applaud. And I mean, it was a live audience. You could hear the people laughing. And I would go, and it was always such a joy. Oh, I would go, and I would have to have had to bake a cake to bring for, at the end of the show, we would have wine and Sarah's cake. So, uh, you know, I was part of it there. That's excellent. Now, of course, the theme we've come across is team and teamwork and being a couple and being together. And of course, there needs two people for every team like that. And let's talk about you, Sarah, the other part of this great team. You were the Toronto Sun's restaurant critic for 25 years, starting in the early 80s. How did this all come about? It came about because I had written a cookbook called The King's Wife's Cookbook. And why did I get that name? Because we were doing a, uh, with the children, a promotional thing for Kensington in Prince Edward Island. They were raising money for a new stadium because their stadium had burned. And they were playing baseball. And as the kids and I came in, they'd say, oh, there's the king. There's the king's wife. There's the king's kids. So I thought the King's Wife's Cookbook was a good name. And the cookbook came out. It sold very, very well. And at that time, the Toronto Star got a morning uh, newspaper. And they wanted me to have the upper left-hand corner of page two to write something. And I did a food uh, column called Supper in a Hurry. That is, every day, whatever was on special at the grocery store, at that time, all the grocery chains had 
pages and pages of their specials and all that every Wednesday. The star would send me those pages, and I would write a week's worth of columns, whatever was on special. It had to take a half an hour, and it had to cost no more than $20, and it was called Supper in a Hurry. And it was very, very popular. Adam, my son, was in um, Ushuaia, you know, in the South Pole. He was sitting in a restaurant, and there were other people there from different countries. And there were two tables with the flag of Canada on it. So the Canadians, of course, got together. And they said to Adam, Oh, are you related to... And of course, Adam thought that they were going to say Al Waxman. And they said, Sarah Waxman. He said, yes, that's my mother. So what happened was they said that all through university, they had used that column to feed themselves. It was easy, it was fast, and it wasn't expensive. And that was their Bible as far as dinner was concerned. So that's, you know, that's pretty gratifying. But then... A new editor wanted to have page two for himself, so he fired everyone who was on page two. I wasn't the only one. And the son asked me to be their food writer, which I did uh, take that job. After a short time, uh, they offered me the job of a restaurant. No, I quit. I quit because of just, you know, I said to myself, I don't need this. You know, I can stay home and crochet. I, you know, I'm not doing it for the money. So Barbara Emile was the editor at the time. And she called me. Doug Creighton called me to come back and back. And I did. And I said, I don't want to be a food writer anymore. I want to be a restaurant critic. They said, you got it. They gave me the job on Thursday, the fashion day. And then... We we were invited to uh, Washington when the Queen was visiting, Queen Elizabeth. And I phoned home after this wonderful luncheon where I was seated next to the editor-in-chief of Time magazine. And I was told there's an important message for you to call the sun. So I said to Al, oh, I guess I'm going to be fired. So I called and they said, no, they they wanted me to take the restaurant critic job in the Sunday paper. I was very excited. I did that, and I was very happy, and a little birdie told me that mine was the second highest readership in the Sunday paper. So that was nice. If you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview with Sarah Waxman, please check out the more than 150 additional episodes available anytime. We got Zane Kaplansky, Paul Reiser, Steve Simmons, Raina Duras, Michael Landsberg, Cheryl Hickey, and Wendy Mesley. How they did it, directly from the Toronto Legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7-365, wherever you get your podcasts. Sarah, through the 90s, you ended up writing, kind of expanding your repertoire, so to speak, into some magazines and other newspapers, as I had mentioned in the introduction. But I want to make sure we talk about your present-day activities. Yes. In 2007, you started Dying and Destinations magazine. What is Dying and Destinations magazine? Well, after Al died, I quit all my jobs. 
magazines, newspapers, everything. I couldn't put a sentence together. And the son said, you take all the time you need. I took four months. They kept my space. They just put in a beautiful photograph and said, Sarah Waxman will return. Then I just couldn't do anything anymore. I had been for 10 years the vice chair of the Ontario Film Review Board, as well as writing cookbooks. I quit that. I quit everything. Uh, A few years later, I needed to, you know, to write again. I went to the uh, Maison de la Presse and looked at magazines that I could pitch a story to, but there was nothing suitable. So I was telling this to my brother and a friend one evening, and they both said, you can start your own magazine. Little did I know, I invited two partners to join me, a man who owned a printing company and a chartered accountant. And I thought, how brilliant of me, because I'll be the creative and they'll do the business. Unfortunately, they did not get along at all. In fact, they hated each other. There was not even one aspect where this partnership worked out. I was a babe in the woods and I was doing everything, I did not understand the layers of treachery that exist in business. I just thought, you know, everybody loves me and everything is going to be beautiful. The first issue, before we had a magazine, we called on restaurants and hotels to advertise. They all said, if you're going to do this, count me in. Where do I sign? What is the best page? And the first issue We sold a hundred pages of advertising. Unheard of. The second year, I was working literally night and day because I was doing everything. I asked my son, Adam. I said, I need your help. He said, sure, Mom. Do you want me to drive you somewhere? Adam had just returned home from Japan. Uh, After his father passed, he came home. And uh, he was acting at the Stratford Festival. I asked him to come with me to review restaurants and help me write the last reviews for the second year. He liked it, and over the years, he has become an award-winning travel writer, far surpassing me. I say this, uh, as an editor, I read his work, and I think he should be writing for the New York Times, not for our magazine. But we're doing very well with our international distribution, and then COVID hit and our magazine distribution instantly disappeared. So what to do? I did not have the heart to just close the company on which I'd worked so hard. So we transitioned to digital with Adam becoming the publisher while I remained editor-in-chief. For our first issue, we gave complimentary ads to all our advertisers and had interviews with a number of chefs regarding their pandemic plans. Our travel stories were about where we had recently traveled abroad and also local travel stories, because you couldn't travel anywhere. Now we're publishing four issues a year. On the cover, there is the line, read, watch, listen, because we are a multimedia magazine. All our articles are personal narrative, as if we're having a conversation with our best friends and telling them all the wonderful details of a recent trip or a recent restaurant. or We don't write anything from press releases and just, you know, amend the press releases. Uh, We write about everything that we have personally experienced. 
this issue of Dine is also a segue into its new digital territory that reveals the back end of a travel or dining article. The new platform is called DineAndDestinations.com, and it enables you to itinerize your own travels by extracting from each Dine article each specific experience, activity, restaurant, and destination within each region the Dine recommends so that you can easily and quickly find the best Dines and the best destinations, beginning with Ontario. But it'll soon include intensive and extensive, not-to-be-missed experiences from U.S. destinations like Detroit to New Orleans to international destinations such as Japan. So you can read one of Adam's Japan articles, and he knows Japan. He lived there for a number of years. He's fluent in the Japanese language. Uh, he went to Cornell University for to learn that and learned while he was in Japan and working. So he knows and he understands. So when you read his article and you say, I want to go here, here, I want to see this and do this, you just click on that. And then you get your itinerary right there. I think it's just wonderful. I have to tell you, it's fabulous. And the best part, Sarah, and you alluded to this when you talk about partnerships, the best kind of partner is a family partner. And as the proud mom, there must be nothing better than being partners with your son. Well, that's true. We, we don't have egos here. Our goal is the same. So whether it's his idea, my idea, whether I need to change a few words in his story or vice versa, it's just to make it better. Well, that's great. But I am going to give you a chance to exercise a little bit of your ego because I do want to talk Order of Ontario. Congratulations, Sarah. You were a 2021 appointee to the Order of Ontario, which is our province's highest honor. As was said by Her Honor Elizabeth Dowdswell, Lieutenant Governor of Ontario and the Chancellor of the Order of Ontario, quote, Sarah Waxman elevated Ontario's food and hospitality industry in an unparalleled manner, leveraging her profile as a leading restaurant critic, best-selling cookbooks author, food and travel journalist, and magazine publisher. She helped put Ontario squarely on the map as a premier food and travel destination. Busy as she was, Sarah Waxman devoted enormous time to a breadth of charitable causes, with each one benefiting from her energy, enthusiasm, and networking abilities. Unquote. Sarah, please tell us about your Order of Ontario experience, how you learned about it, and I know it was delayed by the pandemic, but the eventual ceremony. Well, it was so exciting. You know, my family was there, my sister, my brother, and their families, and, and my children, of course. And I just wished that somewhere, somehow, my parents, my mother and father, would know what, you know, what I had accomplished. All the time that I was writing my cookbooks or uh, writing in, in publications, I was not doing it for the reasons that I got the uh, award. I was just doing my thing. And apparently, you know, it, it was very special. I wrote a, a cookbook called Back Roads and Country Cooking. I traveled 20,000 miles in Ontario and found all the old recipes and amended them to our ways of cooking. So this book was used 
in Expo 86 for the Ontario Pavilion restaurant that Franco Prevedello did. After the book came out, it was McClellan and Stewart. Jack McClellan was known for his extravagant launch parties, but I had met the owner of Nord Air, which was a, a, a local airline. And we decided, I mean, I asked him, and we decided that Nord Air would fly over Ontario for two hours. A hotel, the Delta Chelsea Hotel, their chef would cook the recipes from the land we were flying over. And we would drink the wine from Niagara. And we, we filled the plane and we had a wonderful time. Sarah, it's also, of course, very notable that your husband, Al, was himself invested in the Order of Ontario in 1996 and the Order of Canada in 1997. I'm not sure there's too many husband and wife teams in the Order of Ontario lineup, so that must be very satisfying. I wish he knew. He would be so proud of me. Well, it sounds even today like many people are proud of you. It's great to hear that you're able to work with Adam. Why don't we close off by you telling us exactly what you're working on, what's next, and where we can follow you and get Dine and Destinations. Our website is uh, www.dinemagazine.ca, and we have a lot of interesting stories in our website that are not in the magazine, but uh, we have the latest uh, issue right there in the, uh, at the top of the website, and we also have magazine archives. So if you want to read about a destination that is not in this issue, you can just easily find it. I've written so much about Italy. Uh, we plan to have an issue on Italy. There are so many Italians here. <laughs> and uh, I've traveled to Italy quite a lot. Our next issue is the wellness issue. Wellness, sustainability, and travel for wellness, wellness at home, to live a good and healthy life. Excellent. Well, those are good themes. I have to say it was great to meet you. Great to hear some of your stories. And most importantly, great to hear you're so busy. Your entrepreneurial muscles are still being flexed, which is great. So I want to wish you continued success. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. And to the listeners, on behalf of Sarah Waxman, I am Andrew Applebaum, saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada. 
women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to WhatSheSaidTalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.